Welcome to our study of 1 Kings. We are in 1 Kings chapter 11 today. We're picking it up in verse 14, and we'll work our way to the end of the chapter. And with the end of 1 Kings 11 comes the end of Solomon's reign. And we saw the warning signs that Solomon's downfall was coming in chapter 10 as he had acquired for himself too much silver, too much gold, and too many horses. He did not heed the instructions that God had given for the king in Deuteronomy 17. And not only that, in chapter 11, we saw how Solomon had acquired for himself numerous wives, far, far too many wives, uh, and he had acquired many foreign wives, and those foreign wives were um, idolaters themselves, and they turned Solomon's heart toward idolatry. And so he did not remain faithful to the Lord. Not only did he break uh, particular commands and instructions, but also his heart was turned away from the Lord. So um, as a result, God told Solomon that the kingdom would be taken from him, but not in his day. It would be taken from uh, his son during his son's reign. Um, and he said, though, that he wouldn't take all of the kingdom away from his son, but would leave him a portion of it. Um, and so God is uh, remembering and being faithful to the promise that he made to David, even though Solomon has not kept his end of the bargain, uh, God is still going to preserve Jerusalem and preserve the tribe of Judah under the house of David. And um, But there are serious consequences coming. And not only are there serious consequences coming in the days of Solomon's son, which we'll get to in chapter 12, but in the rest of chapter 11, we see some other consequences that God brought into Solomon's life. Uh, some adversaries, three adversaries, in fact, that God raised up against King Solomon. And the chief warning here, the chief instruction here for us is to remember that it's not enough to begin well. We also want to finish well. Solomon, of course, began well. His reign uh, began with him um, asking the Lord for wisdom, and God blessed him and gave him wisdom and more, and made him wiser than anybody else in the world at the time, made him a great king. Uh, Solomon was able to build a wonderful temple to the Lord and a palace for himself, and so on and so on. But the end of Solomon's life is not sort of a you know a beautiful uh, sunset as uh, as the golden age of Israel uh, goes into um, sort of you know a decline there at the end with Solomon's death, but instead it ends under a cloud as uh, Solomon has turned away from the Lord and there's the 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 threat of the kingdom being taken away from his son when his reign passes to his son. And not only that, but uh, he also has these adversaries to cause him uh, trouble and grief in the last days of his life. So let's look together at the text. 1 Kings chapter 11, we pick it up in verse 14 with the first of the three adversaries. It says, And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house in Edom. For when David was in Edom, 
And Joab, the commander of the army, went up to bury the slain. He struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt, together with certain Edomites of his father's servants, Hadad still being a little child. They set out from Midian and came to Paran, and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Topanes, the queen. And the sister of Topanes bore him Genuboth, his son, whom Topanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genuboth was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab the commander of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, What have you lacked with me, that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said to him, Only let me depart. So this first adversary is a man named Hadad. He's an Edomite from the uh, the people of Edom, and Edom borders Israel more or less in the southeast uh, region of Israel. And so this is one of Israel's near neighbors. And during the days of Solomon, uh, they wiped out all the males of the Edomites, or almost all of them, uh, because Hadad. Uh, escaped. He was rescued. He was just a, a child, uh, but he was taken from Edom and taken down into Egypt where he found refuge and found favor and was even granted um, a wife from Pharaoh himself and was given an allowance and, and was provided for and taken care of. And um, so Hadad lived there in Egypt for the rest of David's reign. And then when he heard that David's reign had come to an end, that David had died, then he wanted to return to Edom. So he has uh, a sort of a, a, a backstory, a history, if you will, with the nation of Israel because um, the Israelites are uh, under David. Uh, Joab was destroying all the... the um, the, the males of, of the people of Edom. And so no doubt Hadad does not like Israel and does not uh, care for Solomon, David's son. And um, so him coming back to Edom is probably not going to be a positive thing for Solomon. If he's coming back to reestablish or reinvigorate the kingdom there in Edom, uh, he's probably not going to be on friendly terms with Solomon. In fact, uh, we know from the first verse here that he's not, and we'll hear again later that he's not. And so his return um, to the land of Edom is a problem for Solomon. And then we hear about the second adversary, a little bit shorter story here, verses 23 to 25. It says, God also raised up as an adversary to him, Rezin, the son of Eliadah, who had fled from his master, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. So now we have the second adversary, Rezin, 
who also seems to have a bit of a backstory with uh, Israel, and particularly with uh, the reign of David. It says that um, he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. So he's got this band of people who are causing trouble, wreaking havoc, um, and uh, they end up in Damascus, which is in Syria, which is uh, north of Israel, uh, another of Israel's neighbors. And it says that he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon. So he was a problem for Solomon. And it says he was doing harm as Hadad did. So Hadad was the first adversary, now resin. They were both causing trouble, doing harm um, and uh, during the, the reign of Solomon. So they were both adversaries of Solomon, both causing trouble for Solomon, both doing things that were harmful. And resin, it says in particular, he loathed Israel. Right, so he hated Israel. So these are two adversaries so far that God has raised up against Solomon. And um, they are we're told about them here in particular so that we will see them in the light of Solomon's unfaithfulness toward the Lord. That this is, this is a consequence of Solomon's sin that God is raising up these adversaries. Now, the third one is quite a bit longer and quite a bit more significant. And the reason why is the third adversary is Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And we're going to find out what's so significant about him. But he's so significant, I'll, I can tell you now, he's so significant that his name is going to keep coming up even after he's dead and gone. He's a very significant figure for the rest of the story of First and Second Kings. So let's hear... Um, who this guy is and what role he's going to play. So he's not called an adversary like the first two were, but you can tell from what is told to him and what happens with him that he is indeed an adversary just like the other two. So verse 26 says, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. So there, you don't have the word adversary, but he lifted up his hand against the king. So he's hostile toward the king, even though at one point he had been a servant of Solomon. So he's not a foreigner, an Edomite or somebody in Damascus. Um, he's not an outsider causing trouble. Uh, he is an Ephraimite and um, Ephraim was uh, one of the sons of Joseph, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, make up what we call the half-tribes, um, the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So he's a Jew, um, and he is hostile toward Solomon. Verse 27, and this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. So here's the story why Jeroboam is hostile toward Solomon. Solomon built the millow and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So the house of Joseph would be Ephraim and Manasseh. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him on the road. Now, let's pause here. So far, everything looks good. Adonijah, or should be, um, not Adonijah, uh, Jeroboam is serving under Solomon 
And it says in verse 28 that he's a very able man and that Solomon noticed this and he elevated him, right? So things are going well, but something's about to change. He goes out of Jerusalem and it says the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe, for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes." But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe, that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, is confronted by a prophet outside of Jerusalem, and the prophet says to him, look, here's what's about to happen to Solomon, and it's what we've already been told, what Solomon has already been told. The kingdom's going to be taken from Solomon in the days of his son. One tribe is going to remain under the son of Solomon, but ten tribes are going to be given to someone else, and now Jeroboam is told that someone else is going to be you. You are going to be the king over those ten tribes. Um, And so, what would you do with that news? How how do you think Jeroboam is going to respond to hearing that eventually he's going to be the king over the ten tribes? Now, they're told it's, it's not going to happen during the days of Solomon, Solomon is going to get to live out his days as king, but then once his son becomes king, that's when a significant portion of the kingdom is going to be given to Jeroboam. All right, so here's his warning in verse 38. And if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. So notice that he's promising him the same kind of thing that he promised David. He's going to build Jeroboam a house like he built for David if he will keep his commandments, which was the same condition given to Solomon, which Solomon failed to live up to. Do you think Jeroboam's going to live up to it? Probably not. Verse 39 says, And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore, verse 40, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So, um... Jeroboam is told what's going to happen. 
somehow Solomon finds out what's going to happen. Solomon finds out that Jeroboam is the one that um, God has said is going to be the next king. And Solomon's the king. Kings hear things, have ways of finding out things. Um, and so uh, somehow Solomon found out uh, this. And so Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam. And so Jeroboam also fled to Egypt, and he stayed there until the death of Solomon. But then on the death of Solomon, he's going to become king over the ten tribes. And we'll hear more of that story later. Um, but then verse 41 to 43 closes out the, the story and the legacy of Solomon. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. I just want you to think about how you would feel about the end of Solomon's reign if that end had come two chapters earlier. If that end had come after the visit of the Queen of Sheba, so a chapter and a half earlier. After he had built the temple and built his palace and displayed wisdom and blessed uh, the queen of Sheba. Uh, if the story had ended there, how would you feel about Solomon? How would you feel about his reign? And how is that different from how you feel now, knowing that he violated the Lord's command, that his heart was turned from the Lord, that he did not follow the Lord faithfully to the end of his life, that's why it's so important that we stay vigilant and seek by God's grace and God's help to finish well. Remember Paul said, I have finished my course. I have, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's the kind of thing that we want to be able to say. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've stayed the course. Uh, you don't want, like Solomon, for the end of your life to come under a cloud because you have stopped listening to the Lord and you've stopped obeying the Lord and you've stopped um, being diligent about keeping His commandments and doing what He says and seeking His will. His will. You want to finish well. And the other thing that this uh, makes very clear to us right, is that Solomon is not the king we are looking for. From the beginning of the Bible, ever since the fall, we have been looking for a deliverer, a savior, and it becomes clear later on that this uh, savior is also going to be a king. And we discovered it wasn't David. David, though his heart was faithful, he was not always obedient. He didn't always do what was right. He repented when he sinned. But he was not the king we were looking for. Solomon is not the king we were looking for. Both of these kings, with everything that's good about them, they point forward to Jesus, the King of Kings. With everything that was weak and sinful about them, they show that the king that we need is not just another man. We need a king who's divine, a king who's perfect, and that king is Jesus, even wiser than Solomon, faithful to the utmost from beginning to end. God in the flesh come to save his people from our sins. That's who Solomon points us to. May our eyes ever be on him. Amen.